hopeful hope. Right, so just to sort of ease us in, I want you to have a look at one, two, three, four, five, six statements. And here is the question, what do they all have in common? Okay, you may shout it out if you want to or keep it close to your heart. That's okay. Here they come. Let's see if I can... Sorry, my thingy wasn't on. Here we go. Right. Have a look at those six statements. I'll read them to you. What do they all have in common? I hope the Dockers win the flag. I hope to be married one day. You're clapping already. I, I hope to live on Mars one day. I hope to look 30 when I turn 51 like I am. And I hope the sermon is short. And I hope to get an earthly inheritance when someone dies. Now, let me just, while you're thinking, while you're thinking, is there, just on that last one, is there anybody here that is hoping that someone might die in their family and get an earthly inheritance? You are all a bunch of liars. I'm telling you, you are lying. Anybody willing to admit? Robin, did I see a hand? You're hoping Bob dies. Oh, no, okay. Um, maybe I'm just saying the very thing that people think but never say, right? Mm. All right. Shout it out. What, what, what do they all have in common? Hey, they're all what? They're unsure. They, they, they are not very hopeful, are they? They, they are unsure. They are uncertain. And, and, and earthly hopes are always that. They are, they are not really hopeful at all. And as you look at that, some of them you can be absolutely sure will never happen, right? I'll leave you to tell me which ones you think after the service. But Christian hope is truly hopeful. Christian hope is guaranteed. It is rock, solid, certain, assured hope. Here's how Hebrews chapter 6 puts it. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. I want to talk to you this morning about Christian hope. And from the passage you've got in front of you, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 9, I'm going to give you eight, eight hope statements. And I'll take you to the first one in just a moment. But I need to just tell you a little bit of a sad story that happened this week. I was called in by the elders and uh, unfortunately under the threat of church discipline, they told me I may no longer alliterate my headings. My response repentantly was, no worries. No worries at all. Okay? So, they're all gone. Here's our first heading. Hope guaranteed by resurrection. Hope guaranteed by resurrection. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because the tomb is empty, because the tomb is still empty, Christian hope is truly hopeful. It is the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us a living, rock-solid, certain, assured, guaranteed hope. 
I came across this survey in, in the UK this last week, and I, I think it probably sums up just the way many think in Australia as well. After the survey, here was the summary. A quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And then this particular person, a Reverend Dr. Lorraine Kavanagh, who's the acting general secretary of a new church called the Modern Church, whatever that is, this is what she said. Quote, I think people answering the survey are being asked to believe in the way they might have been asked to believe when they were at Sunday school. You're talking about adults here. And an adult faith requires it be constantly questioned, constantly reinterpreted, which incidentally is very much what the modern church is about. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the same way, they, the, the, the same way when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. End quote. I'll give you a much better quote from John MacArthur. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single greatest event in the history of the world. It is so foundational to Christianity that no one who denies it can be a true Christian. A person who believes in a Christ who was not raised believes in a powerless Christ, a dead Christ. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then no redemption was accomplished at the cross and your faith is worthless. Point one, hope Christian hope is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, bodily raised from the dead. That's number one. Here's number two. Hope defined as inheritance. Hope defined as inheritance. Look at verse 3 running into verse so praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given, in His great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here it comes. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter here defines our Christian hope as an inheritance. An inheritance. And before I unpack that for you, let me just tell you clearly what it's not. Your inheritance, Christian, is not heaven. It's not heaven. It's kept in heaven. It's not heaven. Our inheritance is not a departure from the body in spirit into the presence of Jesus where we become this disembodied spirit floating around the heavenly realms for all eternity. That is not our inheritance. He said, well, what is it? Well, have a look at chapter 1, verse 5. Peter starts to sort of unpack it a little bit. Notice what he says. Through faith we are shielded by God's power until the what? The coming of salvation. Right? So you've got this inheritance, which is the coming of salvation. Go down to verse 9. He says, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So your inheritance is the coming of the salvation of your soul. Is that helpful? Mm. Well, the, the problem is we often don't know what the, what, what the Bible means by the, by the concept of soul. So let's get a little closer to it with Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. What is our inheritance? 
not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await for our adoption to sonship. Here it comes, the redemption of our bodies. So our inheritance is the coming of our salvation, which is the salvation of our soul, which is the redemption of our bodies. But there's one more piece to come. And here it comes in Peter's second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Take a look. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward. Looking forward is always hope. We, we hope for a what? A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Our hopeful inheritance, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the coming salvation of our souls, which is the redemption of our bodies, which is in a new heaven and a new earth, which is called a home of righteousness. Do you see it? That's inheritance. So Peter here is drawing on passages like this one in Isaiah 65, 17, where the prophet says, See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. We see the same thing with John in, uh, in Revelation where he says, Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now have a look at verse 3 and 4 of Revelation 21 because this is what this new heaven and new earth looks like. Here's a picture of it. Here's our hope. Here's this hopeful inheritance guaranteed for us by the resurrection of Jesus. He says, I, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Brothers and sisters, here is the hopeful hope. It is a resurrected life in a new resurrected heaven and earth where every single vestige and remnant of sin and suffering and death and Satan and pain is gone. It is vanquished, it is banished. You remember in the Garden of Eden, don't you? You remember Adam and Eve, because of their sin, they were banished and they could no longer eat from the tree of life. Do you know that when you go into Revelation 22, you know what your inheritance is? is that symbolically we are going to eat from the trees of life for eternity. What is our hopeful inheritance? It is eternal paradise. It is eternal beauty. It is eternal glory. It is relational harmony. It is resurrected life in a resurrected new heaven and new earth. You getting excited yet? I hope so. Here's number three. This hope was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In other words, this, this hopeful inheritance that we're talking about, new heavens, new earth, resurrected life, it's not something new. It's always been there. It was in the shadows of the Old Testament. And I want to show that to you, but I want to show it to you in a way that I hope is going to be wonderfully fresh. So I've got a question for you. Right? Again, you can shout it out. Or you can keep it quiet and I can correct you because you're probably wrong, right? No. Which, ah, which, which tribe of Israel are you from, Christian? If you're a Christian here, what tribe of Israel do you come from? All right, think about it. 
Think about it for just a moment. Which tribe of Israel are you from? Okay. Now, I won't need you to shout this one out. If you said you were from the tribe of Dan, I hope not. Okay? Because if you go to the tribes of Israel in Revelation 7, the tribe of Dan is actually missing from the 144,000. Go and have a look at that one. Some of you might have said the tribe of Judah, Wylan. You don't know, but it was a good guess because Jesus came from the, the tribe of Judah of the line of, of, of David. But you would sort of be right. Um, actually, if you've got your Bible, Peter tells us what tribe you're from. Did you pick it up? Well, you might not have. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, just into the next chapter. And I'll pause and you'll get it. But you are a chosen people, a what's next? A royal priesthood. So, Mr. Lucas, if you are of a royal priesthood, which tribe are you from, brother? You are from the Levite tribe. Yes. Beautiful. Now you're saying, what has this got to do with inheritance? Let me show you. Have a look at this in Numbers chapter 18, 23. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Here it comes. They will receive no earthly inheritance among the Israelites. In other words, when Israel were taken into the promised land under Joshua, every tribe got a piece of land except one. Which tribe? The Levites. Why not? They were able to stay, but they could never possess land. Why not? Because they were a foreshadow of God's people today who do have no earthly inheritance, but what kind of inheritance? A heavenly one, a new one. In other words, the Levite tribe were, were, were a foreshadowing of God's people today who live in the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. But in fact, it wasn't just the Levite tribe. In fact, all of God's people in the Old Testament look forward to a New heaven and a new earth, not the earthly promised land. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 11. All these people, I'll come back to them, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, here it comes, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, if you go back to verse 13, and it says all these people, in the context, it's talking about Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. What sort of place were they looking forward to? It was not the earthly land of Israel. It was not. They were looking to a heavenly land. They were looking to a new country, a new place, a new heaven, a new earth. And that's why we fit so much better into the Levite tribe as Christians today. Now, on my bookshelf at home, 
I have a book called Heaven. It's about that big, that thick. The author is Randy Alcorn, and it's all about the new heavens and the new earth. He describes in about 5,000 pages what the nature's going to look like and creation's going to look like. He even speculates what kind of animals are going to be there. He even speculates that we might have pets, Belinda. He even speculates that some of our pets may be raised from the dead. How cool is that? His book drips in wonderful, mostly biblical speculation. It will be incredible, won't it? I mean, you can only imagine what a resurrected, sinless, beautiful, glorious existence will be like. Are you able to imagine that? So, where are we? Our hope is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. It is defined as inheritance. It is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It's always been there. And number four, it is preserved in heaven. It's preserved in heaven. Did you notice verse four, where we are told that our inheritance cannot spoil, perish, or fade? And where is it kept for you? It is kept for you in heaven. Now back to those of you that wouldn't say but are wishing for someone to die that you might get that inheritance. Let's hypothetically say there's some of you out there and <laughs> I see those eyes. Um, <laughs> let's hypothetically say you're hoping for this inheritance to come. Here's the thing. You can't really be sure what kind of condition that inheritance is going to be in when you get it, right? I mean, for example, you could do something really to annoy that person and they could write you out of the will. You could die before they die and then someone else gets it. I mean, phew. that person may have lots of money now, but when they die, it might not be worth much because it's all in stocks and bonds and shares, inflation, stock markets and all the rest. It might be a lot now going, wow, but it's almost nothing when you get it. So your inheritance earthly-wise could spoil perish, fade, or somehow sort of lose it by getting written out of the will. Do you realize this morning, Christian, that your hopeful inheritance, it can't be stolen from you. You can't get written out of the will. When you're written in the book of life, which is the will of God, you can't be written out. And there are no diminishing returns. Do you realize that God's eternal shares in the new heavens and the new earth, they don't diminish. They're not sort of related to inflation. They don't sort of ebb and flow with the stock market. Do you realize that your inheritance that is coming, it doesn't depreciate. Now look at verse 5. This is incredible. So look, let's just read 4 into 5. So this inheritance, it cannot spoil, perish, fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, right? That future thing. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, And through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now it seems a bit disjointed because in verse 4, notice, he's talking about the inheritance, which is sort of, protected. And then in verse 5, he sort of moves it to us, and we're shielded by God's power. It seems a little bit out of sync. What Peter is saying is this. 
God's power not only keeps your inheritance safe, but he keeps you safe so that you can get it. Does that make sense? He keeps the inheritance safe and he keeps you safe so that you can get it. Let me give you an illustration. Supposing someone came to you and said, I've got a safe right here. Imagine me for a moment. I've got a safe right here. Safe lock, and there's one million dollars of cash in there. One, this is yours, it's your inheritance. One million dollars, and you, Caroline, and you're over there. The problem is, it's safe here, right? But maybe you're not so safe. Maybe you won't get it. Maybe you won't get to this thing. You won't be able, and it's not yours until you get your hands on it, right? So, the, and what Peter's really saying is this the money is safe, and you're safe, so guess what's going to happen? You're going to get it. It's going to be yours, absolutely guaranteed, because the inheritance is protected, you're protected, all guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're all ready to go home, right? Mm, okay, you're not that excited just yet. Mm. But maybe after this next point, you will be. It's guaranteed by the resurrection, it's defined as inheritance, it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament, it's preserved in heaven, and we're preserved. And hope is refined by trials. So if you've got your Bible, have a look at verse 6 and 7. Peter says, in all this you greatly rejoice. In all this, I mean, in, in this inheritance that is hopeful, it's coming, you rejoice in it. Though, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. Why have they come? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is saying that as we wait joyfully for this inheritance, what's going to happen in the meantime? You're going to go through very painful trials, very tr painful experiences. Now, in the context of 1 Peter, these trials are the sufferings of Christ. So take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. There it is again, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you and I are going to follow and live for Jesus in this world, we are going to suffer. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So as we go back into verse 7, if I can find it, the question is, in this context, what do these trials do? What these trials do in the context of hope is that they enlarge your hope. When you go through painful, difficult persecutions, whether that is from Christ, being a follower of Christ or living in this sin-ravaged world, when we go through painful experiences, it, it enlarges our appetite 
for hope. In other words, when you go through difficult times as a Christian, it makes you long more and more and more for the inheritance that has been promised to you. In other words, we, as we groan in the sufferings of our body, we long more and more to be in that resurrected life in the new resurrected heavens and earth. You see, when you groan in the body, you long for that which has been promised to you. That time when Christ will wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more heartache and no more difficulty. The only tears will be tears of joy. Your trials, Christian, enlarge and anticipate your hope of inheritance. Six, hope is revealed by return. By now you should be saying, when, when, Lord, when is it coming? It's not when you die. It's not when you die. Yes, at death you will go into the presence of the Lord. But our full inheritance only comes when? Do you see it at the end of verse 7? May result in praise, glory, and honor when? Jesus is revealed. That's talking about his second coming. That word revealed is, is a Greek word. It's, it's apocalypsis, apocalypse. It means revealed. It means unveiled. Our full inheritance comes when Jesus Christ is unveiled to the world in cosmic glory when he comes with his powerful angels. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? What's the answer? Don't know. Oh, don't know when. We're not told. We, we, we're not, we, no one knows the hour and the day. And anybody that comes along and says they think that they do, they are talking nonsense. Because no one knows the hour or the time. But let me give you a little taste of what it's going to look like from 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. Here's what it will be like when Jesus Christ is unveiled, unwrapped, if you like, in, in cosmic glory to the whole world. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Where's Fiona? Where's Fiona? Is she here? She's in Sydney. Oh, I wanted to bring her trumpet out and just give it a bit of a zuzu. And go, well, that's, that's what it's going to... That's what it's going to look like. That's going to sound like. How about this one? Yeah. Paul says in uh, Corinthians, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Some of us will still be alive. But we will all be changed in a flash and a twink of an eye. Oh, there's that trumpet thing again. Fiona, come back. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Do you really believe it's coming? Do you really believe it's going to 
that Jesus is going to be unveiled cosmically to the world? Do you, do you really believe that, that we're going to get that inheritance when he comes? Do you believe that? Do you? Oh, they scoff, don't they? Whoa, the world scoffs. They scoffed in Peter's day. They scoffed today. Remember these words from 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, above all, you must understand in the last days, which is now, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I want to say he's coming. He's coming. And he will bring the full inheritance that he has promised to those who belong to him. Two to go. Seven, hope is seeing Jesus' face. Resurrected life with resurrected people in a resurrected new heavens and earth. But did you pick it up in verse 8? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Surely this is the greatest part of the inheritance that is coming. It will be life face to face with Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 5. He said, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see that? We boast, we exalt, we, we, we hope in the hope of the glory of God. Who is the glory of God? Is it not Jesus Christ himself, the word who became flesh? And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, who died and rose and ascended and poured out his spirit and will come back in Shekinah cosmic glory. I don't know how to capture that for you, so sometimes you just got to go to a song and here's a, some words from a song that just, what will it be like? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it will be like to see him face to face? And live in resurrected glory with the resurrected king. Well, mercy me, two stanzas, they put it like this in their song. I can only imagine. He said, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you, be still. When I stand in your presence or to my knees, will I fall Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. 
One more. Hope is received by faith. How does this hope of inheritance, how does this certain guaranteed hope of inheritance, how does it become yours? Did you notice in the passage it was mentioned three times so you didn't miss it? Verse 5, who through faith. Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. Verse 9. Hope is a gift of faith. The hope of the inheritance of God is a gift to those who have been sprinkled, chapter 1, verse 2, in the blood of Christ, who died for your sins and was raised from the dead. I just have a very simple question for you this morning. What is your hope this morning? What is your hope? Is it something earthly? Is it something temporary? Is it something fading? Is it something spoiling? Is it something that can depreciate? Is it something that can lose value? Is it something that could be stolen? Is it something that could be manipulated and coerced out of you? Do you have any hope at all? Because without the hope that Jesus gives, you have nothing. You have no hope at all. And this is your best life now. Or do you have the hopeful inheritance of faith? A new resurrected life in a new resurrected heavens and earth with new resurrected people of God face to face with the resurrected Christ. Is that your hope? Because that hope is so secure, so safe, so valuable, so eternal, so beautiful, so glorious. It cannot be lost. It cannot be stolen. It is absolutely guaranteed for you by Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Which leaves only verse 3, doesn't it? Praise be. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a hopeful hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If this is not your hope today, don't go home. Until you've spoken to someone and you go home with this hopeful hope. I lost the music team to come and lead us.